Spy for Peace. Prelude. The Ceremony. I thought the sun could have displayed a bit more respect for such an historic occasion. The White House lawn gleamed palely in the chilly sunlight of an early Washington spring morning. Together with the other slightly shivering but greatly excited guests, I was witnessing the long-awaited signing of the Israel-Egypt Peace Treaty under American auspices. It was March 1979. As I stood at the back, taking in the splendid setting and listening to the familiar, famous voices come over the loudspeaker system, I felt a hard object nudge my back. A TV-inspired fantasy of some kind of gun flashed for a split second through my mind, until it dawned on me that one of the hungry pack of television cameramen was pushing me with his camera. "'Don't push me!' I bristled. He responded angrily, "'Look here, kid, I'm trying to record the most important event in the twentieth century, and you're blocking the view. For God's sake, I want to get shots of really important people, and you're in my way. Why don't you just move to the side?' Faced with such a persuasive argument, I moved. I felt very much alone. It was probably the loneliest experience I have ever undergone, for I could tell no one of my contribution that had helped this ceremony to come about. I thought I could see the tall figure of my collaborator, Robert Lipschutz, counsel to the President, peering over the heads of the crowd standing at the side of the White House colonnade. In front of him, President Carter was seated at a table flanked by President Sadat and Prime Minister Begin. With some difficulty I discerned my good friend Azar Weizmann, Israel's defense minister, in the front row sitting next to the president's mother, Miss Lillian. Back in the third row, I could just pick out the broad shoulders of my Israeli working partner, Israel Defense Forces Chief Strategic Planner, General Avraham Abrasha Tamir. He was with the Israeli delegation. I had been invited to join them, but deemed it inappropriate. Then again, I did not belong with the American delegation, nor was I numbered among the packed ranks of official American Jewish leadership, nor could I take a seat with the big campaign contributors. My sense of solitariness stemmed from the secretive nature of my role as special counsel. My effectiveness depended on my keeping out of the headlines. Together with Bob Lipschutz, I had fashioned an informal and unpublicized backdoor channel connecting the White House and the Kirya, Israeli government compound. Both sides claimed it had been invaluable in furthering the peace process. But, irony of ironies, no one knew about it beyond the inner circles in each capital. Still, I felt compensated by knowing that I had been of some help in furthering the cause of peace in the Middle East. I was being paid in a coin better than metal, for I had never sought nor received financial compensation for my efforts toward peace. I felt a sense of completeness, of a job well done. I had performed my duty as an American and a Jew. That knowledge had inspired me to continue when I had felt tired or frustrated. It had pushed me to work harder. Not too bad for a forty-year-old kid, I thought. Not too bad for the son of immigrants, for a boy from Bayonne, New Jersey. It was with mounting emotion that I heard President Carter proclaim, Let us now lay aside war. Let us now reward all the children of Abraham who hunger for peace in the Middle East. This historic agreement was the first peace treaty between an Arab country and Israel. After signing as a witness for the United States, the President declared, We have won, at last, the first step of peace a first step on a long and difficult road. 
His southern accent seemed more pronounced than ever. Is this really finally happening, I thought.